Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. This time of year is always a little bit of a, I'd say a paradox, I mean, if that's the right word for me. Because on one hand, the, the five or six weeks that start really, really kind of right before Thanksgiving, all the way through New Year's, are some of my favorite times of the year. I love gathering with family, all the meals that I get to have, the Christmas lights, the food. You know, I have young kids that are five and eight, and just having them experience all this for the first is, is a ton of fun. But there's another side of this season that feels very challenging. You know, it gets dark early. I swear some days it's like 2.45, and it's like, what is going on? It's already getting dusky. It starts to get cold. The leaves are off the trees. Uh, I was looking at my lawn yesterday thinking, it's going to be like five or six months till I mow this again. Like, There's something about going into this season that's a little bit challenging. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but it always seems like this is the time of year where things get stirred up, if you will. You know, maybe you just got through Thanksgiving and it was great spending all this time with family <laughs> and all this stuff kind of came up or old wounds resurfaced or conflict. Um, I, you know, I feel like I do more crisis counseling for people this time of year than kind of any other, any other time of the year. And so this season, you know, along with all of its joy can only be accompanied by what would be described as maybe a deep weariness in the soul. It's, 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 it's a little bit, a little bit of a paradox. Like, have you, have you ever experienced that? It's both joyous, but then there's also some, this other thing that's lingering in the background. Almost like, you know, a, you know, ever been on, on, on your computer and you're like, why is this thing slowed down so much? And you realize, oh, there's these two programs can just kind of running in the background that kind of mess up everything. Um, I feel that about this season. You know, not, not all the time, but even, even driving in this morning. Like driving in and thinking about the day and just, I don't know, there's, there can be a weariness to it. Uh, maybe it comes from watching the news, sitting with people in their pain, um, just the day-to-day frustrations where you wonder, why can't things just work? Didn't think that between 9 and 9.15 this morning. Don't worry. Half you weren't, didn't, half you don't even know something happened at that time. Uh, but you just wonder, like, why can't things just work? Uh, and last year, I stumbled on a word that described this exact feeling. And when I stumbled on it, I was like, oh, that's so on. It's a German word, uh, and I don't speak German, so I'm going to butcher it. But basically, the German word is Weltschmerz. Weltschmerz. You know, let's all slightly mispronounce this together. One, two, three, Weltschmerz. Yeah, and so what this word roughly, word roughly means is World weariness. It is, you know, it can be a spiritual apathy, um, a physical ache, a mental depression caused by, this is key, a comparison of the actual state of the world with, you know, and or the ideal state. So it's a weariness. It's just a, that's caused by the gap between the actual state of the world and sort of the either what the true ideal state is or the ideal state you have in your head. Have you felt that before? 
felt that in this season? <sighs> Veltschmerz. And when you come to church, or really any other gathering, and you get asked how it's going, we're kind of almost programmed that no matter what, we answer, pretty good. You know, busy, but pretty good. I almost guarantee you have never answered this question when someone asks you how you're doing, being like, you know what? I'm dealing with a serious case of Velschmerz. Thanks for asking. I was really waiting for someone to ask me that question. No, we're almost programmed to appear artificially happy, no matter what's going on. Well, I want to read you a few lines from the scriptures that might surprise you. Here they are. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Another one. Cursed be the day in which I was born. And it goes on, it says, the day that my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is because it just honestly and accurately captures the human condition. When I read the scriptures, they just have just this ring of truth to them. That the, that the, that the person, the mind that has inspired all of this truly gets what's going on. So much of our life has just lived in this tension and the ache between the actual state of the world and our ideal state. We spend so much time there. But what gives me comfort from the scriptures is that we are given space for that. The scriptures provide us hope when we're there without denying the reality of our situations. That, that, that is where I draw a lot of hope and comfort because you read, again, the scriptures and the Psalms and it allows us to be truly honest about where we're at but then gives us hope for a better future without having kind of to deny the other one. It's not stick your head in the head in the sand and everything's great. But it's also frees us from kind of helpless, helpless languishing. One of the main resources we are gifted by God when we find ourselves in difficult places is the gift of prayer. Is the gift of prayer. And and, and I was thinking if if Velschmerz is a feeling of despair between the actual state and the ideal state, prayer is an activity of hope where we call the ideal state to enter into our actual. It's almost the exact opposite. Prayer is when we call upon God to bring the ideal state into the actual. And you might hear that and think, isn't that, that kind of sounds like wish fulfillment. Where, where do you get that? Listen to the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, one of the most concise and famous passages on prayer. Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I want to draw your attention to this one line right in the middle where it says, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, a little over a year ago, I, we did a whole series preaching line by line through the Lord's Prayer. And, and one of the things that I learned is this phrase, 
on earth as it is in heaven actually goes with the first three lines and potentially the last three. So you're supposed to read this in here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Daryl Johnson, who wrote one of my favorite books on prayer, says, this phrase captures the passion of the living God to bring the reality of heaven on earth. Jesus teaches us to pray that the ideal, the kingdom of God, would invade the actual. Do you see that right there? Jesus is teaching us to pray that the ideal, the kingdom of God, would come and invade the actual, which is our current circumstances our current struggles, our current joys, our current failures. And this gives me so much hope because then, because it allows me to be fully honest about the reality of my circumstances without being hopeless. You know, isn't it freeing to know that you don't have to pretend to have it all together? Is that freeing? That you don't have to put on a show? Isn't it freeing that struggling or even having seasons of deep discouragement is not a sign that you're a bad Christian? but it's rather it's an opportunity to pray. Is that encouraging? Because we find ourselves in places like that. And we go through seasons where it's bigger and smaller. But these are opportunities to pray. So this, this, this morning, it's the kind of the final message in the series we've been doing called Practicing the Way. And what we've been doing in this series is it's sort of the, the key text of it is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the, the Great Commission. And there's this spot in the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. Go and teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. So that's a task of a disciple. And so if we're going to be like, all right, we're going to try to do that, where would you start? And so what we've been doing is each week is just kind of looking at some of the common practices or things that Jesus calls us to be obedient to. Um, They're not fully in order because it's not like prayer is the least important one. I just kind of how it fell. And so this week, we're looking again at the, at the last one, which is prayer. And it might uh, seem a little bit odd to be thinking of prayer as a command. You know, you must pray. Because it's more a phrase like, we get to pray. We have the privilege of prayer. And the, every time the Bible talks about prayer, it's just assumed that followers of Jesus pray. It's even like, you know, things like fasting. It's like, it doesn't say, and if you, it's always, and when you, and when you. It's just kind of assumed that followers of Jesus pray. But did you know that there's only one recorded instance in the four gospels where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something? Isn't that, isn't that kind of amazing? You know, these, these, these guys get to spend all this time with the son of God, the guy who, who created everything over several years, and there's only one recorded instance where they say some version of, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to? And that seems like a pretty big missed opportunity. <laughs> but the only thing that's recorded is them asking Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Uh, it's, we see it in Luke and in Matthew. So here's some, some more encouragement, encouragement for you. If you're here this morning and you feel like you're not very good at prayer, uh, prayer is hard for you, and you sometimes feel like you have no idea what to say. You have the freedom that the disciples had to say to, to Jesus, please teach me how to pray. 
I know most of you have prayer totally figured out and you don't struggle in this area and you know you had a solid three and a half hours of silent prayer before you came here. But for the rest of us, uh, sometimes prayer can be challenging. Lord, teach us to pray. And Matthew 6, what we're given here is Jesus' short answer, if you will, to here is how you can pray. Pray then like this. So in the last couple of minutes we have together, I want to walk you through what it would look like to pray the Lord's Prayer, how you would do this. But the first thing that you kind of need to hear is that in this prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples a way to pray, not necessarily what to pray. So there's nothing wrong, I think, especially in the beginning, if you just pray the Lord's Prayer and you just recite it and you just learn it and you kind of let it kind of get deeper in, deeper into you. Uh, but Jesus is not kind of giving us here in English 57 magical words that if you just pray in the right order, all of a sudden everything, poof, gets better. He is teaching us a way to pray. And the first thing he teaches us is how we are called and how we can approach God. This is so amazing that he starts off by saying, you should pray like this. Start by saying, our Father in heaven. And in this line, our Father in heaven, means the exact opposite of what I used to think it means. When you hear about our Father in heaven, does that give you a feeling of a sense of closeness or uh, sort of further away? When you, when you hear it, is it, does it sound like distance or closeness? It almost sounds like distance because you think our Father in heaven. I almost feel like I have to shout so you can hear me. But the Hebrew understanding of, of heaven is much more like when it's used like this, the idea of atmosphere. And the atmosphere is all around atmosphere is close. It's not just far off. It's here. And so when Jesus is teaching us to pray, it's not to our father that's so far off that I would need a megaphone and hope you hear. It's my father who is close, who is near, who is all around, who inhabits the atmosphere that I exist in. That is how we're called to approach God. And then the next thing that Jesus does is he teaches us to pray for God's agenda first and not ours. You know, it's not a coincidence. The first three things that Jesus teaches us to pray all have this idea of your, not my. Look at these yours. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That means may your name be made holy. It has this idea of may people come to encounter the real you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it isn't until we are taught to pray for God's agenda to come to pass that we're then instructed to pray for our needs. What is it? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins and debts. And lead us not into temptation. So, I mean, why do you think Jesus instructed us to pray this way? Think about that for a second. You don't have to say it out. But why do you think Jesus put the order like this? Because order, I believe, is important. And not that it's wrong to reverse it like you're sinning or anything. But I think Jesus puts it in this pattern for a reason. And it's this. If we always start with our own agenda and what we want to happen, we might not nearly be as open to God's agenda being different than our own. If we always start with what we want, what we want to come to pass, our version of, I mean, how many of you have a very clear picture of how things should go? (laughs) 
how many of you are like, Lord, God, if you just get on board, like I have this figured out, just make it happen. I've, I've already mapped it out. I've made it really easy for you. I have my, my, my will. I have, I have my kingdom. I'm trying to, you know, we all think that. And without first kind of submitting ourselves to the Lord, like first off, your name be hallowed, not mine. Your kingdom come to pass, not mine. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the posture that prepares us. To them we can truly say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You know, forgive me of my debts. Help me forgive those that have sinned against me and lead me not into temptation. But the second thing we're, we're taught here that doesn't fully come out uh, in, in, in the Greek text is that Jesus is teaching us to pray boldly. He is teaching us to pray boldly because all the verbs in this section are in the imperative mood. I know, everyone's like, oh, oh, I did never knew that. So here's what the imperative mood is. It is the mood of command. It has a forcible tone behind it. Uh, I read that the ancient Greeks would never use the, use the imperative when communicating with a superior because it was inappropriate. This was, this was this was almost a forceful tone. It's not proper to talk to someone who's your superior that way. And yet, this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. So it's not as forceful as do it, but it is as forceful as be done. Jesus teaches us to pray boldly. It's be honored, be hallowed, be holy your name. Come your kingdom. Be done your will. And we can pray boldly because Jesus is teaching us to pray for things that only God can do. There's a boldness to praying for things that only God can do. I, I want to share a story with you about a man who had the faith to kind of take Jesus at his word and do it. And it's a guy you might, might be familiar with. He's an uh, older, um, and by older I mean really old. He's from the 1700s. Uh, but this guy, George Mueller. And George Mueller was an amazing man of prayer and faith. And uh, this is what he noticed. He noticed that it didn't matter what people said about what they believed about God. He noticed what they functionally believed was that all of the promises of God, all the stories of God miraculously providing for people, these were things that happened in times past, but not now. They would never, they would never flat out say it. They would say, oh yeah, God can, God can do stuff. But functionally, he looked at how they lived, what they said, and you realize that functionally most people believed that God only intervened in great ways in the past and not now. And so this is a quote by him, and this, he said this. It was evident enough that God was not looked at upon people as the living God. And my spirit was often weighed down by this, and I longed to set something before the children of God whereby they might see that he does not forsake, even in our day, those who rely upon him. It was an incredible endeavor. He says, I am going to, I want to create something that is visible and tangible that people can look at and see as proof that God answers prayer. And so in London at that time, there was a, there was a huge need for orphanages and for, or, and for orphan homes. And so he set out to start an orphanage. But what was so unique about it, that the orphanage was the secondary purpose for what he was doing. His primary purpose was, I'm going to start something that relies on prayer that is tangible, that I can point people to and say, here is proof that God answers 
prayer. And so this is how he started his plans for the orphan house. He prayed without telling anybody for a few specific things. He prayed, one, that God would give him a house, either by loan or by gift or someone paying the rent. He's like, I'm not, he wasn't too worried about how he got it. He's like, I'm just going to start praying that someone randomly is going to come up to me and offer me this. And then he started praying for a thousand pounds, which was the money for resources. And he prayed for suitable individuals to care for the children and then people to give furniture, articles of clothing and stuff for the house. So he didn't tell anybody his plans and he just started praying. And he said this, when I, I love this quote. When I asked, I was fully aware what I was doing. I was asking for something that I had no natural prospect of obtaining from the people I knew, but which was not too much for the Lord to grant. Because I was praying for something that I couldn't just chalk up to, well, I have some connections, maybe I can nudge him. He's like, something that was way out of my control, couldn't do, but wasn't too big for God. And so he kept praying diligently for these things. And over the next two years, things kept happening. And what's great is he kept a journal. He kept a daily journal. And he was just start to write down how God, uh, how God provided. And people would walk up to him and offer him things and just say, hey, uh, you know, I, God just put me on my, uh, put you on my heart. You know, here's 20 pounds. Here's this or that. And, and, and listen, uh, listen to this. This was two years after he started praying. This is what he wrote in his journal. Today, I gave myself once more earnestly to prayer, respecting the remainder of the thousand pounds. And this evening, five pounds was given so that now the whole sum is made up. To the glory of God, whose I am and whom I serve, I would state again that every shilling of this money and all the articles of clothing and furniture, which have been mentioned in the foregoing pages, have been given to me without one single individual having been asked by me for anything. Isn't that crazy? Uh, And he goes this. He says, the main object of the work was and still is that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without asking anyone to kind of pitch in. So people could see that God is faithful still and hears prayers still. It's beautiful. Um, At the risk of sharing too many stories, I'm going to share one more. (laughs) This does not mean that it's easy. This does not mean that God provided, you know, well in advance so you never had to stress. One of my, all, so of all the stories, this is my favorite one. So they had never, the, never gone without, never missed a meal. But there was a morning where they got up and they realized we have nothing. There's no extra money. There's no extra food. What are we going to do? And George had everyone said, just set the table, have everybody come. God is going to provide. And uh, so they sit down. Everybody, and people knew there wasn't food. And they said, you know, it's time to sit down. We've got to eat before the day begins. Let's say grace. Says grace, blesses the empty table. And right after doing that, there's a knock on the door. Goes to the door, and this is what happens. The local baker opened the door and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I just had this feeling you wouldn't have bread for breakfast, and God woke me up at 2 a.m., and I, bro- and I baked bread for the entire orphanage. Could you use it? <laughs> Absolutely. No sooner does he leave, there's another knock on the door. And it's the local milkman. He says, Mr. Mueller, my cart broke down right in front of your orphanage. I need, to give, I need to offload all this milk so I can repair it. Is there any chance you guys could use all of this milk? Guys, these are true stories. 
These are not made up. These are verifiable stories of what God can do. We boldly ask him for things that only he can provide. But preaching on prayer is hard because prayer is an activity and not a concept. How do you learn about prayer? How do you learn that God answers prayer? It's not by hearing a sermon on it. It's not by being inspired by the story of George Mueller. It's by praying, by seeing the Lord answer your prayers. And prayer can be hard because, you know, we don't make space for it. It requires discipline. You know, maybe you're mad at God. You're not convinced it works. You've tried it and just feels like nothing's happening. And, and, and this is where I feel like the Lord's prayer can be such a gift to us. Because Jesus teaches us, it's, it's, it's freeing, because it frees us from the anxiety of wondering, am I doing this right? It, free, it connects us with the heart of God. Like, this is God's heart. Uh, it frees us from some of our self-centered, shallow, weak prayers that can dominate our prayer life. So if, you know, we're, we're just starting December, today's December 4th, my encouragement is take time this month and every day, pray the Lord's Prayer. Every day, just start to pray and maybe expand it. And just see what God does. And uh, here's a way that I'm going to include this in a follow-up email. That I was kind of taught how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Of how you can uh, pray it in a way that, 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 that flows out. And so let me, let me model this for you. If we want to pray together. You know, our Father in Heaven... Our Father, who is very near us, who is all around us, hallowed be your name. May your name, your character, what makes you, you, be elevated in my life, the life of my church in this city. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your rule and your reign to the here and now so that things are as they should be. And give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us what we need in this life. Provide us the food, the resources, the spiritual strength we need to enjoy the abundant life you have on offer. Forgive us our debts as we have, been for, we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us not only of the sins that put us in debt to you, but make us more forgiving so we can extend that to others. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, don't let the tests and the trials we face turn into temptations. Lead us and deliver us from the evil one who only seeks to steal, kill, and destroy and steal our joy, the abundant life you have on offer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, so be it. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.